Imagine this. One day, you find out that something you thought or hoped was guaranteed in your life is no longer valid. Everything is turned upside down by somebody else's decision that affects not only you, but your children. You feel completely overwhelmed and don't know how to thrive going forward. Hi, this is Heike Yates, and I'm so excited you're here with me. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about the ultimate intermittent fasting system for beginners. Intermittent fasting can be intimidating when you're doing it on your own. That's why I created the Ultimate Intermittent Fasting System for Beginners. If you want a sustainable and easy-to-follow intermittent fasting guide perfect for an empty nester mom, then this was made just for you. This program will teach you how to incorporate intermittent fasting through a step-by-step, easy-to-implement process. The program also is rounded out by Pilates exercises that don't hurt your knees, but help you get lean and strong. You can go at your own pace and have support along the way. Are you ready to boost your metabolism and lean out for a vibrant second half? Then join the Ultimate Intermittent Fasting System for beginners today. I will leave a link in the show notes. And let's dive into today's expert interview. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower empty nester moms over 50 to take back their health and strength to feel vibrant in their second half of life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of empty nester moms around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best, taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies, and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and reliable, so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring guests who share their honest stories on how they went from their worst to their best in life, so that you know you're not alone in your struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Well, hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be back with our first guest of the year. And our guest today, Karen Wright, is a master certified coach, a pioneer in the coaching industry profession, I should say, and a two-time author, including The Accidental Alpha Woman, a guide to thriving when life feels overwhelming. She's a single mother of two wonderful, she says, young men and an avid reader and traveler. Karen lives in Toronto, Canada, when she is not in Paris or Costa Rica, two of my wonderful, I love those places, or adventuring around elsewhere in the world. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. 
So I am so excited you said yes to join us here on the Pursue Your Spark podcast because the title, The Accidental Alpha Woman, caught my eye in our private Facebook group at Heroic Public Speaking. And uh, all of us as speakers, many of us have written a book, but the title just really caught my eye. And I'm so glad you said yes to come on this show. And I probably said yes, and as we all have been trained by Michael Port. <laughs> That's right. That is something that's been ingrained into us. Karen, what are you most passionate about? Oh my gosh. Um, well, first and foremost, beyond anything else, I am a mother. And so all decisions, all choices, uh, most joys come through that lens. And my kids are now 21 and 23. And so they're living their own lives. They're out on their own and doing incredibly well. But that's still um, you know, it's still a huge part of, of what lights me up and, and how I identify myself. Secondarily, uh, and at this, um, I was having a conversation with someone recently about this, there are really two lenses through which I process joy and fulfillment and all of that. And the second one is my work as a coach. So I am a professional executive coach, and I run a coaching company. And uh, in, to some degree, my focus has been limited to those two lenses because I've been a single parent for most of my boys' lives. And so when so anyone who's done it knows that when you are working full-time to be the sole provider, breadwinner, all, you know, roof over their head, groceries on the table person, and working, that there's not a whole lot of time for other things. And so people say, well, what are your hobbies? Hmm. <laughs> so, that is yeah. a good question. What yeah, is no. the answer? My job and my children. <laughs> and thankfully, I love them both. So it doesn't feel like a hardship. But it is funny when people sort of say, so what other things do you do? Well, try running a business and raising some kids and then tell me how much extra time you have. <laughs> I hear you. How did it come about that you founded Parachute, your company? Uh, Parachute? Well, so I became a coach when I was in a corporate career, which I loved. And the, I was working for a large multinational company that moved me. I lived, I lived in Canada and they moved me from Canada to the U.S. ostensibly as a jumping off point to a career in the international system because I had visions of working in, in Tokyo and Johannesburg and Paris and, you know, all over the place. And uh, the first stop on that journey was Dallas, Texas, which, you know, I didn't really see as international, but they said it was an important first step before doing the rest of it. And the Dallas move didn't go well for a number of reasons, not the least of which is five bosses in eight months and you know, nobody shepherding my career. And so it just became clear to me that, that that wasn't working and I had some choices to make. So I ended up resigning from that company and moving back home and then looking at my career and trying to decide what to do next. And as I was in that contemplation process, this profession called coaching started to bubble up. And it just, it appealed to me on some instinctive level. I wasn't even really sure why at the time, but I thought, you know, the worst thing that can happen is I take a course and nothing comes of it. But of course I took a course and much has come of it. So that was the beginning. Interesting, because you have an accolade of credits to your name and to your career. So I would be sitting here for a while to read them all, but I'm sure <laughs> once they, once they uh, get the links in the show notes, they will be able to read up on you. And, and uh, yeah, you did such an amazing job with yourself, with your career, with what your passion is. Well, the thing is that, I mean, I found work that I'm good at, that I love, that I feel does a service in the world. And I was incredibly well equipped to pursue this work when I did. So I come from a marketing background. Coaching was new. To come into a new 
endeavor with a marketing background is probably the best way to come into it. So I like to say that I was, uh, you know, at the right time, at the right place with the right skill set. I was differently equipped than a lot of the other people who were getting into it. And I think, you know, the, the lovely long list of accolades is as much a function of tenacity and endurance as anything else. I've been doing it for a long time. It's like a sport. You just keep at it and you get better. You may never be the best in the world, but you will be in your own rights the best you can be. Absolutely. And that's all anybody can ever hope for is to be the best they can be, right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, let's dive a little bit into your personal story that inspired your book, The Accidental Alpha Woman. Tell us how this all came about. Oh my gosh. Um, and this was this was a heroic public speaking moment, actually. I had decided to tell the story of what happened to me. So I was married with two young kids and the marriage had been set up you know, from the beginning that we were equal partners in all things financial. And uh, all of a sudden, one day he announced he didn't have any money to contribute to the mortgage account. And so in the blink of an eye, I found myself to be the sole financial provider in a house, in a, in a life that was set up to have two incomes. Um, and the kids at that time were two and four, I think. They were quite small. And so it just, as I say, it was a blink of an eye. All of a sudden, I had an entirely different responsibility um, and obligation. And thankfully, I, I was in a position to to do that, to, to take care of the responsibilities. But it, as you can imagine, was hard. And it wasn't what I had sort of signed up for or set myself up for. And so, you know, with, so there were a couple of things that happened in that moment. I mean, first of all, was that this breach of trust and this surprise at being confronted with something that I wasn't expecting and, and would never have imagined happening. Um, and then, 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 of course, accepting and shouldering all the responsibility. I spent a fair bit of time in that place of, okay, I'm going to earn all the money. I'm going to take care of the home and the people because that's what I have to do. But this won't last. This is temporary. This is just a blip. You know, everything will get back to normal soon. And uh, it took a surprisingly long time for me to figure out that this wasn't going away. This wasn't changing. This wasn't temporary. This was the real situation. I had to decide whether or not this was something that I was okay with. Um, and as I was processing all of this grief and frustration and anger and disappointment and everything else, I, I coined this phrase, the accidental alpha, because that's really what I felt like I was the alpha. I was making the decisions and shouldering all the responsibilities, but it wasn't what I had envisioned for myself. And so, and I love a good alliteration. So, um, so accidental alpha was this, this way I started talking about it. And every time I used that phrase with somebody, with another woman, I, nine times out of 10, I would get exactly the reaction you had, which was, oh, I, I so get that. I can relate. I understand what that is. That makes perfect sense to me. So that was the very beginning. So what did your husband say to you or your partner at this point saying, okay, well, I screwed up. You guys didn't have, um, didn't look into each other's finances or didn't compare notes at all or anything like that? Well, I think there's a whole lot more to any story than than necessarily one wants to share publicly. And this was now quite a long time ago. Um, suffice to say that the fact that all of a sudden he couldn't contribute his share of the monthly finances was a surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a business owner. He was entrepreneurial. He was trying to take his business new directions. It 
didn't work. And uh, he, I mean, he had kept quite a number of things from me. And so as I say, part of what was going on for me was grief and disappointment and breach of trust yeah. on that front. So that in addition to now I have to be the one carrying the load, there was, there was a lot going on. There's a lot of betrayal I feel that's going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I've, I just wanted to touch into a little bit more on that because from my experience and from my audience and group, many times I hear women in my age, I don't know how old you are you Karen? 62. Okay, so in our ages, because I'm 60, I turned 60 this year, many oh, women, <laughs> we are 60, sexy, and gray. Woo! Right? Yes, so people, when you see the video, look at us. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, many, <laughs> many women have no clue about the finances in the house. They, they don't care really know much about their own finances, than the least to say about their partner's finances. And that has from other episodes has come up as a, wow, I really need to know what's going on on the other oh. side. Oh, yes. Now, I mean, I, I have an MBA. So, I mean, I, I understand finances and, uh, and have been very responsible financially. And I knew exactly what our life cost us. And so the, the missing link. So I think any woman who doesn't have a really good sense of, what their life costs and where the money comes from and what their plan B would be if something happens. I think, I think not having that handled, not confronting that, even though it's really difficult sometimes, I think not confronting it is a huge mistake. So I am with you that it's really, really important that we, that we understand that aspect of our life in whatever form it takes. The missing link for me was that he hadn't disclosed the trouble his business was in and the degree to which he had been funding the problems in the business with his personal money. I mean, you know, we got married at 35. And so we both had some resources coming in. Mm -hmm. And so what I didn't know was that he had depleted his, a lot of what he had come in with because he was trying to solve the business problem without telling me. Without telling you. Yeah. Com communication is so important in a relationship. And trust. Yeah. And trust. Oh my God. Yes. The total betrayal of trust right there. Now, Karen, describe the alpha woman to me, because they're the alpha male we all know, it's like the wolf hounding down the chickens or whatever. But what is the alpha woman like? Well, you know, I distinguish in the book between an intentional alpha and an accidental alpha. Because, I mean, I know a huge number of women these days who have, we all have some alpha in us, right? Alpha is, is essentially leadership. And I think the alpha word has gotten too closely associated with the conventional stereotypical male form of leadership. But for me, alpha is I'm taking charge. I'm taking responsibility and I am going to go forward and do things in the world that I think are important and meaningful. And uh, in my view, the difference between an intentional alpha and an accidental alpha is the intentional alpha started out that way intended to be that way, designed their life to support them being that way. And I know intentional alpha women who are so living life solo and delighted by it. I know intentional alpha women who are in partnerships where that is an absolutely negotiated um, balance and it works beautifully. And in my case, I had envisioned life in an equal partnership I had not envisioned being the one to take all of the responsibility and make all the big decisions. And so, so it was, so that for me is where the accidental aspect shows up. It's like, oh, hang on. 
all of a sudden this is this is what I have to do and it was not what I thought I was going to be doing not how I thought I would be living my life and people come to an accidental place a lot of different ways I mean I can again I can so relate to your book and what you're saying because I found myself in similar shoes with a lot fewer assets and children pretty much the same age as your kids were. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. So I was, yeah, I became that accidental alpha big time. Now, you 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 either sink or you float. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> yep. Now, when we're talking about your book, Karen, is the book about executives or for executives, uh, women higher up, breadwinners, or what is your goal with the book? Well. I think that by by virtue of the fact that an accidental alpha is oftentimes the breadwinner in their home, um, it's not an, it's not for executive level women, but it is for women who have that capability of supporting a household, whether it's just themselves or whether it's a whole family. Um, so it does there is a bit of a correlation between um, ability to earn and being this this accidental alpha. Um, my hope was to, so, so when I first started talking about the accidental alpha and thinking about doing something with it in the form of a book or a talk or whatever, I was, I struggled with it a bit because I felt like I was just telling my story and I didn't feel like just telling my story was enough. And then I found a writing coach through this heroic public speaking program that you and I have both uh, participated in. Um, I found a writing coach and she helped me bring my professional knowledge into this idea. So she helped me put a coaching framework on this accidental alpha personality and create it as something that then might be helpful to others. So it's a little bit of, if I had applied everything I know, I might have found a better way through the process that I had to confront. And so how can I bring some of those tools to other people who might find themselves in a similar position? Yeah, that's very, a framework is so helpful for us, a step-by-step process. So you're not getting lost of trying to figure out where the heck you're going to go with <laughs> your life, your thoughts, your assets, your whatever else is going on at that moment. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now, that framework is called receive. Tell us more about that. Well, when you're when you set up to communicate something, it is great to have a way of framing things that people can remember. Yep. And um, the idea of being better at receiving is I think fundamental to to getting through a difficult situation a lot of women I know and I am front of the pack on this um, I'm fiercely independent I will take care of it I will handle it no I don't need help you know I don't want to bother anybody I don't want to admit weakness whatever the reason Uh, and so I think the idea of receiving help is uh, is a really important idea and so when I was contemplating how to create a framework, I found that I could work with the word receive. And so the word is both the message and the framework. And then I was able to put together a series of steps that that worked with that, with that word using the first letters. Yeah, I love that. Now, you tapped on something that we want to do it all. And I know that I again, I can just relate to you so much. <laughs> it's like I can do my job I can raise the kids I can drive sure. to soccer practice and I could cook a meal and I could be a sexy partner on top of that <laughs> why do we feel that way what what is that upbringing where does that come from that that we, oh. we as women we feel that way it's so frustrating <laughs> I know you know I'm not a psychologist and so I can't say where it all comes from um, I do think there's some aspect of 
I don't want to admit I can't handle it. You know, there, in my case, there were some things going on in my life that I wasn't terribly proud of. And uh, I was a little bit worried about what other people might think. So I'm going to take care of things so I don't have to let anyone in. Um, there's the aspect of, I don't want to bother anybody else. Everyone else has got all of their own things. So they probably don't have room to help me. Of course, without asking, because, you know, most people will help you if you ask. But so I, mean, I think it's rooted in a lot of things. But I think I think um, the sort of stereotypical historical position of women has been caregiver, helper, nurturer. And um, I think we generally caregive and help and nurture ourselves last on the list. And I think that's the biggest problem. That's very true. Very true. Because somebody, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> somebody just recently asked, recently asked me as I was interviewed, they said, so what do you do for self-care? And I sat there and I'm like, I go for a run. And they're like, no, no, no. For self-care. I'm like, I don't really know. I, yeah, well, I do this and that. And they're like, no, this is not self-care. They, they were telling me that they had interviewed so many women that were not had no answer to the word self-care. What, what do you do for self? Do you meditate? Do you go, go on a trip? Do you get your hair done? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything in this. We have to start a day of self-care where it's not dependent on anybody else's wishes and needs and just what we would love to do at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's a friend of mine who is in the beauty business, in the clean beauty business, and she likes to distinguish between beauty maintenance and self-care because beauty maintenance is not self-care. In many cases, it's 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 either uncomfortable or it takes a lot of time or it's probably using things that maybe we shouldn't ought to use if we really thought, thought too hard about it. So she just says, look, do all the beauty maintenance you want to do, but don't consider that your self-care, right? Self-care is something else that really does nurture you and really puts, replenishes you, revives you, helps you thrive and flourish. Um, so we have to draw a distinction there. And that's a very, that's a very clear distinction. I like that because oftentimes we think, oh, if I put on some lipstick, that's self-care. Yeah, no. That's self-decoration maybe, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is nothing, yeah. nothing wrong with that. No, no, that's all good. And I'm a big fan. And, you know, you can go to the salon and have foils in your hair and sit there for three hours and come out like with great hair. But it, is that self-care? I don't know. I mean, if it, for some people, maybe it is, but, but my friend's point is that might be a limiting way of looking at self-care. Yeah, true, true. Now, when we're talking about that, we don't want to ask for help because we feel guilty. We feel embarrassed. We too shy. We feel that we are, we shouldn't be asking for help. How do we get around then to get what we need to be the accidental alpha woman? Well, that's the thing, right? If you don't ask for what you need, then there's a very low chance you're going to get it. And so you have a choice. You can either be disappointed or you can do something uncomfortable and maybe a little bit difficult, which is ask for what you need. Mm -hmm. And this is where, you know, when I had come through, um, you know, taking apart my relationship and my house and all of those things and found myself a single mom with two kids, I was, I was feeling really isolated and it became clear to me that people weren't just going to come knocking on my door, inviting me places. You know, there were a lot of people who thought I was still consumed with what was going on or maybe weren't even aware or, you know, were uncomfortable with how to approach me or whatever it was. I'm sure there were lots and lots of perfectly good reasons. The point is, if I wanted to do things, I needed to reach out to people. And that for me was hard, but it was exactly what I had to do if I was going to have the life that I wanted to have, if I was going to be doing something other than sitting home by myself after my kids went to bed. 
did you feel ashamed at that point? Um, I, I don't know. I think ashamed that I didn't see what maybe others could have seen. Um, I wanted to believe the best. And this is, you know, part of the process that I outline in the book is the idea of recognizing what's going on and then deciding what it means to you. But I lived for, um, in retrospect, too long in the place of this is temporary, this will pass, this isn't really a, a something I'm going to have to deal with. And so I resisted confronting the reality of what was going on. And if there was anything that I felt some shame about, it was that, because I think there are a whole lot of people in my life who looked at what was going on and could see it more clearly than I did. Yeah, when, when you're in the thicket of things, it's oftentimes you just don't see the tree before the forest yeah. or whatever the saying is. I know, yeah, I know. A friend of mine likes to say, you can't read the label from inside the jar. <laughs> I never heard that one, I like that. <laughs> yes, credit, yes. Credit, credit Charlie Gilkey on that one. <laughs> oh, this is awesome, I love that. Now, when you're thinking that, so you're in that situation, you, you, put, you are the alpha woman, you're charging forward. I see that a lot of people want something from us. And I'm going in the direction of how do we set boundaries? Yeah, that's what I'm going with. This. I'm sticking yeah. to this. Well, so again, this is, this is um, something that an, an awful lot of women I know have trouble with, which is just saying no. Really thinking about what is it that I need and want or have capacity for and saying no to the other stuff. And so, you know, fairly early on in this, this shift in my journey, I had to decide what kinds of things I got involved with from a business perspective. How many boards did I sit on? How many events did I go to? And what I boiled it down to, and I love the word of the year um, idea. And so in that particular year, I boiled it down to it was health, wealth, and family, not necessarily in that order. But if I didn't, if I would spend my time taking care of my health, taking care of my family and earning the money I needed to earn to take care of my family. And if it didn't fit into any of those three categories, I was going to give myself permission to say no. And so I said no to a lot. Okay, so basically prioritizing what where your personal needs are at that time. Mm -hmm. And I can't control whether somebody else gets upset because I say no. And I'm always going to say no politely and respectfully. And But I also don't need to explain. You know, if you invite me, if you invite me to an event and it just doesn't work for me, if I don't have the capacity to be there, I'm just saying, no, thank you. I'm, I can't be there. Mm -hmm. Thanks for asking me, but I can't be there. And yeah. that's it. Yeah. Right? It's hard and to I, say that at first. It is. Like, it is. I should be saying yes. No, I shouldn't. No, no, no. <laughs> I know. But if you scroll ahead and think, well, how will I feel if I go? Oh, I'll probably be tired and be wishing I could, you know, I'm checking my watch, wondering when I can leave and, you know, that kind of thing. So which isn't always the case, but, but that's one filter. One way to look at it is think, okay, if I do do this, what does it cost me in terms of the other things that are important to me? Will I get a good night's sleep? Will I see my kids, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, which brings me to a little bit of different question, because as a strong woman, we oftentimes get labeled, and I'm just using very gentle words like difficult and opinionated. So how do we change that perception? Because I, I get you and the listeners are saying, you know, yeah, they're also independent and they're also strong. But if I step up like this, people call me names. Let them. Oh, that, was, that was just let it, sink, let it sink in a little bit. Let them. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, really, if I worried about what everybody thinks about me, I, I have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. 
you know, I know that I attempt to be good at what I do and respectful of the people I interact with and kind as often as possible. And um, you know what, I'm doing the best I can. And there are times when I might make a bold choice or be assertive about a decision or shut down an opportunity or disappoint a human being or whatever it is. But if I'm doing that respectfully, professionally, you know, then if they are upset, I can't control that. I can't control what other people feel. And don't let it, don't let those people make you feel bad about yourself. That's what I always do right. too. No, exactly. But again, they, that's a choice we get to make. I get to decide whether I feel bad. Yeah. Right. Yes. So someone can try all they like, but I get to decide whether they succeed in making me feel bad. Mm-hmm. Very true. And some, and some people try hard, make no mistake. <laughs> some people try, right? Some people try really hard. <laughs> yeah, you got to have a little bit of a thicker skin or let it roll off you or however, you know, like I said, they don't control your life and your choices. And well, and for me, it's a great filter for who do I want in my life? You know, and there are some people we don't get to choose so much with, but, but you know what, if there's a person in my life who's constantly being critical of my choices, I'm not sure why they're there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very true. I always say surround yourself with a happy community and, yes. let, and let go of the naysayers. That's always my big thing. When I hear yeah. people, I'm like, why are you around that person? Right. Oh, they need me. No, they don't need you. They just need you to complain to them. Right. And, and get load upload on you and then they feel great and you have you worried <laughs> and you have all their sorrows and then you can't sleep because you're thinking about their problems no no nope. no, 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 no. Nope. I don't have capacity for that I feel great compassion for people who are struggling for people who haven't figured out how to be happy in their lives and if I have suggestions for them in terms of how they might have a happier life if they ask I'm happy to share but and I can't take responsibility for other people's happiness. Yeah, very true. Now, you've been on your own for a long time. I've been on my own for a very long time and got married just 10 years ago, but I was alone for a long time with my little kids. So many women find themselves in transition, becoming the accidental woman, the accidental alpha woman, mm-hmm. whether it's by choice or not by choice. How do you handle a transition like that? Um, what aspect of it? What do you mean? It's like suddenly you're confronted with the, I have, I'm suddenly in charge of the money. I'm suddenly in charge of debt. I'm suddenly in charge of, uh, planning things for the children, um, that this, or the, the school activity. So that whole life change from being a unit, let's put it that mm-hmm. way, a unit to being a solo. Yeah. I mean, reality was I was doing most of that stuff anyway. So really not a big choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes I had to ask for help where I wouldn't have had to ask for help before. So if somebody needs a drive here and the other person needs a drive over there, I can't do both. So I had to build some relationships or reach out and ask for, you know, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Um, had to cultivate a network of babysitters that I hadn't had before. Um, I also waited, I, I waited to make the big change until my kids were of an age where I didn't have to hire a babysitter if I had to go to the grocery store, mm-hmm. right? So there was a long stretch of time between that pivotal moment when the financial situation changed and then when the whole um, actual marriage dissolution happened. So there was quite a long period of time. Um, but I mean, handling things, I was handling most things anyways. Okay. 
Okay, so that was an easier. As I, I see that smile on your face, just like you know, in hindsight, I was like, yeah, got it all done, got it under control. <laughs> well, I mean, under control, I don't know. It's still, I think it feels different when you know you're the, you've got no safety net, right? When you yeah. know that it's all on you. So I think whether or not I was the one reconciling the bank balance and paying the bills and handling the kids' activities and managing the doctor's appointments, the fact that that didn't change didn't mean that it didn't feel different. Yeah. Yeah. There's no support there. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when you, when you're thinking about, so you're in your solo life, you're, you're the alpha woman, you're dealing with all of this, you started setting up boundaries but you mentioned something earlier that that struck me is that living too long in the um, or, or avoiding reality, being too long in your bubble, in your dream world. T tell us yeah. more about that thought. Well, it really has to do with if I'm in a situation that is unpleasant or uncomfortable or unplanned for, how long is that okay? Right. So. Uh, in my case, um, I was in a partnership where suddenly the other person wasn't contributing financially. And not that everybody has to have a 50-50 financial contribution situation, but everybody has to bring something to the party. And what I didn't do until maybe later than I, if I'd had it to do over again, I would have done it a little bit sooner, is confront how long is this okay? How long is it okay for me to be in this relationship where I'm feeling that I'm carrying too heavy a load. Mm -hmm. um, and again, the assumption starting out was that we would be financial equal partners. So the question I didn't ask myself soon enough was how long am I okay being the carrier of 100% of the financial load here? And what would have to be true in order for me to be okay doing that long-term? So that's a question I avoided asking myself for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I, did, I didn't want to, I didn't want to know what the answer was. <laughs> this is a scary question. Yep. It really yeah. is. Yeah. How about on an emotional level, Karen? How, um, what is it, what has it felt like for you? What did you, how did you move on? So I am incredibly fortunate in that I have amazing kids and I have a really great relationship with both of my kids and we always have had, and I love my work. And so I get, an inordinate amount of fulfillment from my work. And that helps a lot. I think if I'd had a job that I didn't love so much, that probably would have made the journey a little bit more difficult because I wouldn't have had so much sort of positive being infused into my mm -hmm. life from, from the reward I feel from my work. Um, and then, as I say, I've got, I've got great kids and I've always spoken to them like they're adults, uh, you know, long before they really were adults. Um, I have been pretty straight with them about, you know, age appropriate, but straight with them about what was going on. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there was one very funny conversation we had when they were probably, I don't know, uh, 12 and 14, or maybe a little older than that, maybe, maybe 14 and 16. But anyways, um, I told them that I, and so I'd been on my own for a while and, and um, I told them that I was not going to contribute to the university, university funds anymore that I, there was a certain amount of money put aside, but you know, when the time came, they were gonna have to figure out the rest of it. And they said, well, why? And I said, well, because I need to think about my own future and I need to plan for the long-term for myself. Um, otherwise, I'm gonna be living on a couch in your basement unless you wanna pay for my retirement home. And my older son just said, oh, I'll pay for the retirement home. I'll pay, I'll pay for the retirement home, no problem. <laughs> 
But, you know, I would, and so while I didn't get nitty gritty with the numbers with them, I was really clear, like I'm able to do certain things, but not others. And, you know, we're able to take certain kinds of holidays and not others. And we're able to have some kinds of things that, right. So um, I never apologized for where we were in the world. I was really proud of what I could accomplish, but I needed them to understand that there were always choices that had to be made. And I mean, today, 21 and 23, they are both spectacularly good with money, which is really different than their friends. They've both got really healthy savings accounts. They make really good choices about how they spend their money. They've both got long-term plans on important decisions and purchases and so on. So I feel really good about where they are. That's, that's, a, that's a really good feeling. My kids are 30 and 33. And, and I can relate to that because I feel the same way about the, my children. I taught them about money, but I also taught them about the emotional aspect of a separation and where we were financially. And my son to the day says, he's like, mom, I didn't, I can't believe how you managed with so little money and mm-hmm. you got everything done. And I say, well, you have to make do and all these lessons that come from that, I think transcended just like with your children into their life. And they're aware now of what they need to do or what needs to have happened in their life to, for them to hopefully not be in the same perils. Exactly. Plus along the way, I hope that we've taught them to be happy and comfortable with strong women. Yeah. There you go. Now, Karen, I want a little bit more know about a little bit more about the book, the receive. Can you give us one framework that could be a takeaway for my audience to say, okay, I want to be this alpha woman, whether accidentally or on purpose. How do I get started? What would be one step or yeah, what would, would you tell them? Well, one of the things that I think all women would benefit from doing more consciously is managing their energy. So in the framework, our EC, so one of the E's is energy. And we talked a little bit about this earlier, like figuring out what to say no to, figuring out what you need more of in your life in order to help you flourish and thrive. So to be consciously managing your energy. Um, And I mean, I know that there at one point were people in my life that were not necessarily people that I felt contributed to my well-being. And to make decisions about whether or not I spend time with them. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the tasks, so uh, you know, getting groceries delivered would be another example where I know some people will say, "Oh, I can't imagine letting someone else pick my groceries." You know what? Have at it. Bring you back the truck up to my driveway and drop off the toilet paper and the paper towel and the, you know, all of those things. I am thrilled to have somebody else deliver my groceries. So. To really, but, but, and I'll, you know, have someone clean your house, whatever. But I mean, I have a friend who loves to clean her house because that's one of the things that she really finds gratifying. Great. Bless yeah. you. But <laughs> know, know those things, hang on to the things that really do light you up and let go of the things. Like I always say that if you feel you should do something, should is a really, really useful red flag word. If you're saying, oh, I should do that, I should do this, and I should do that, stop and take a look because should means you really don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. The shoulds. I hate the shoulds too. I'm like, yeah. and sometimes I catch myself saying I should. And I was like, nope, rephrase nope. red flag. Yes. We shouldn't do anything. All we should right. do in my opinion is be happy. <laughs> yeah. And, and think uh, consciously about what are the things that do make me happy. Yeah. Right. And then the things that don't make me happy are the ways I could do them less or less frequently or just, or just in a more fun way. 
very in a more fun way what would that be do you have an yeah, idea I mean, right now? I mean I will I put on music when I'm making dinner I don't love to cook and unfortunately in order for people to eat you know I have to cook so but if I put on great music or a really interesting podcast or something you know so I can create that space of time such that it's as enlivening as it possibly can be love that i love that this is great now karen any final words for my listeners for the accidental alpha woman lady to be or even not so accidental well you know i think um taking care of yourself and knowing what is important to you and opening yourself up to receive input assistance um support from others i think uh, we could all do a little bit more of that so just just being willing and, and also to get better at noticing it. I give a couple of examples in the book of times when people offered me help and I was so determined to do whatever it was the way I had decided to do it or just the fact that I had decided to do it. I almost didn't see it coming. And so to be to open yourself up to, oh, hang on, the world is a kind and generous place. And if I allow people in, I might actually find that my load could be a little lighter. My life could be a little easier. Very true. Because at the moment you're thinking everybody's against you and nobody wants to support you. <laughs> The world is an evil place and you have to just plow on through. And you're laughing. You can relate. Now, Karen, where can people reach you on social and where can they get your book? The book is on Amazon, Amazon all over the world. So The Accidental Alpha Woman, The Guide to Thriving When Life Feels Overwhelming. And it's available in all the formats. Um, so uh, so that's, the, that's that. And uh, Karen Wright Coach on Instagram and Kay Wright Coach on Twitter. And I run a coaching company. So my professional presence is at parachuteexecutivecoaching.com. Yep. And Karen also goes out and speaks about all kinds of wonderful things related to us women and other things, of course. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Karen. It's been a pleasure meeting you in person and hearing all about your book and your life and yourself. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So everybody, listen up. As always, before we close, I want you to not just listen to this episode. I want you to reach out to either one of us. You, Karen's uh, links will be in the show notes and also the link for the book so you can easily get your hands on it so you don't have to drive while you're uh, right while you're driving or pull over. It's all there for you when the record is live, recording is live. But reach out to us on social media because we love to talk to you. We want to hear from you. Please reach out to Karen or me at, at Heike Yates or on Facebook, Heike Yates, Pursue Your Spark. Let us know your thoughts about today's episode. How did it impact you? Your thoughts. Are you an accidental alpha woman and want to talk to us and get some tips and, and information or just want to share your feelings? Please reach out to us. We can't wait to hear from you. And that, my friends, we are, as always, out of here. And we'll see you next time on the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Ciao.